Hello, friends. This is Nathan Powell. I co-host a brand new podcast called Dynasty Double Take with Dan Senio. We join the DLF family of podcasts with unique Dynasty arguments in a short 10 to 12 minute format. Dan and I love to debate Dynasty, and we hope you enjoy our banter as we discuss topics like trade offers, coaching, draft capital, and much, much more. Podcast. That's the Yinza, Brian Har. Nice. That's Ryan Numbers, but Miller. Trust me, Ryan. I'm I'm just trying out some new ones here. It, it could definitely change by next week. What's going on, everybody? Delaney Walker is back, and he just might be a top five tight end. Ooh, coming in with the hot take. Yeah. I am John. Check my hype video on Insta Hogue. And this is a Super Flex Super Show. Week one is in the books, and we've got some overreactions, some underreactions, just some overall takeaways from week one. And uh, for our first night together, without, we, we don't have Stompy here to, uh, to scream and growl, and we don't have James to to just troll every player that I love. So uh, I think this is going to be a, a, a fun episode with the two of you guys and uh, probably a lot more civil than uh, our listeners are, are used to, but uh, sometimes that's a good thing. After what transpired in week one, I think that everybody's kind of ready for just a drama-free, happy conversation about football. So... With that being said, I think we uh, let's just jump right into this because, again, we want to talk about just kind of week one overall, um, some of our thoughts and uh, just kind of give you a peek into the notepads of uh, of three of the super team members here. So let's start with you, Ryan, and we're going to talk about some of the best and worst things just out of out of week one, just kind of in general. So. Complete this sentence for me, Ryan. The best thing about week one was? Uh, I'll say the best thing about week one was that nine out of the 16 matchups this week were within one possession. So it's just been, it was a super entertaining week um, with, you know, with the Bills coming back against the Jets, the Eagles coming back against the Redskins, Rams and Panthers close at the end. Uh, There were just a lot of great games. I mean, we had two overtime games and a tie, and that's not even talking about Monday night with the, the Texans and the Saints. Um, it was just a great week for football. It's we've been waiting for this for eight months, ever since the Super Bowl, and so it, it did not disappoint for sure. Technically, the Broncos were with within one possession. <laughs> I don't know if that should count though. It it never felt it, as a Broncos fan. Uh, by the way, off air, you asked who our favorite teams are, and I uh, I forgot to answer. But um, so there we are. Denver Broncos and I, they never felt like they were within a score of the Raiders, even though technically they were. All right. What about you, Brian? Give us uh, the, the best thing about week one was. Uh, Saints Texans was the best thing about week one, hands down. Um, thank goodness for this game. Right. Uh, 
what a game. Just a very exciting game to watch back and forth. Uh, tons of drama at the end uh, with Deshaun Watson leading that drive to tie things up or take the lead, actually. Right. Yeah, they took the lead. And then uh, let's hitting the 58 yard game winning field goal as time expired. That was the best part of week one for me. Uh, and also starting 1-0 and in the leagues that I, I did win my first matchup in. So that's always a great feeling to start the year uh, with a fantasy squad going 1-0. and How many leagues are you in and how many of them won? So I will not admit to how many leagues I am in. Just in the, in the <laughs> off chance that my wife somehow is either <laughs> listening to me, recording me, catches this show. Um, but... A ton is the answer that I'll go with. Too many. Um, one in, So I'll give you a percentage. How's that? Is Deal. that better? Okay. Yeah, that works. So I was at, let me think about it. Now I have to do, I'm doing math on the fly here. So, and I'm, and I'm not oh, necessarily man. a numbers guy. So this would probably be really <laughs> quick if we were asking our friend Ryan here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but for me, it's a little more difficult. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I would say I was probably around 60, 60 to 65% this week, which isn't All horrible. Right. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's, I think that's about what I was. Yeah, it's kind of funny. You it, it, Asking a fantasy analyst how many leagues he's in is, is basically the equivalent of asking a woman either her age or her weight <laughs> no doubt about it's just, it <laughs> it's just kind of a faux pas to even ask uh what about you ryan what what was your winning percentage this week uh so i'm in i'll, I'll say i'm in eight leagues and i'm still it's still my first year so i went from three to eight so we're we're i'm sure next year will be even more but i won six out of the eight i was super excited when in fishbowl it's my first year in it i was down I think a hundred points after the four o'clock games. So Hopkins and Tyrell and Sanders really brought me back. Oh, nice. So Ryan is essentially a, the, the 22 year old girl with the, the tiny waist. So you're, you're allowed to ask because uh, the number is nice and low. Yeah. But take me out too. Cause I, I'll eat pizza. You can just take me out to a pizza joint. Yeah. <laughs> no high class, fancy restaurants. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. There, uh, there's, there's some give and take there for sure. All right, here's mine though. The Cardinals and the Lions combined for 154 snaps. I love this because it, and I, I feel like a lot of the credit goes to the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the it, we do have to throw in the caveat here that they did go to overtime. They played all of overtime and ultimately tied, but. I love the tempo that the Arizona Cardinals are going to run at because it makes absolutely no sense. It's abs- it's it's really pretty bad strategy considering their defense especially right now, you know, with Patrick Peterson suspended. Um they're missing some other guys as well. But I mean their their defense is kind of bad. <laughs> and usually when that's the case, you know, the goal is run the ball, control the clock, keep your you know, keep the opposing offense off the field. And the Arizona Cardinals are not going to do that. And I cannot thank them enough for that. It's going to make for fun football the the entire season. This up-tempo, 
you know, hurry to the line and, and run another play from shotgun. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, especially if they're not able to tighten up that offense. So uh, that to me, not only was the best thing about week one, it's probably my favorite thing for this entire NFL season, at least so far. Uh, we'll see. There's, there's some other possibilities that we're going to get to, but uh, that's that's the big winner right now. But how about the worst thing, Ryan? What's the worst thing about Week One for you? Yeah. So so me and Brian were talking pre-show, and we're we're both Steelers fans. So I'll try to I'll try to save him some of the rant here. But I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, I'll stay away from the game. I'll let Brian handle that. But the worst thing about Week One was just seeing between the game itself and the offseason news that the Patriots dynasty. Every year we think it's finally coming to an end with Gronk retiring, Brady getting another year older. They just they just load right back up. They got Josh Gordon cleared the – he got reinstated in the offseason. They get Antonio Brown last week, and that defense against the Steelers. Uh, I mean, maybe the Steelers' offense wasn't too clean, but the Patriots did a great job game planning, and they seem to be – at least an above average defense and that combined with the weapons they got this season. I, I hate it, but the Patriots dynasty looks like it's ready for another year. And this is how they perpetuate the whole thing too. Like, so just today we're recording this on uh, Tuesday night and just today they traded away Demarius Thomas to the New York jets. I'm assuming they got back a draft pick. I'm not actually sure of the terms. Sixth, sixth round pick, I believe six, six round pick. And then, and then, you know, so they're going to pay Antonio Brown $15 million this year, um, go get him his ring, and then he's going to hit free agency and go get another, you know, a, a max contract somewhere, and they're going to get a compensatory pick. This is how this keeps happening. They just keep adding these draft picks, and they can use them as currency. They can make the picks. I mean, they, they're they're above average in the draft, but they also just have the ability to to trade for whoever they want and then you know they fill up their roster with a bunch of of rookie contracts and it leaves them with enough money to go get freaking Antonio Brown and they're also kind of getting him at a discount here so yeah it it's just it's it's maddening that the rest of the NFL allows them to continue to do this but I, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir here with a couple of Steelers <laughs> fans. So let, let Brian rant about this a little bit. Yeah, I agree. The worst part of uh, this weekend in week one was, was the Steelers and their Sunday night performance. Um, <clears throat> that game wasn't entertaining at all. Uh, I don't think if you're outside of Boston uh, or, or not a Patriots fan, it wasn't a very entertaining game to watch either. Thank Thanks to the Steelers. So um just, I mean, it was total domination. And just like Ryan said, it every time you think that, well, this might finally be the year where the the hold that the Patriots have had on, on the league for the last two decades is finally broken. Nope. <laughs> like they just squeeze tighter around the neck. So I, you know, I, I, it's, it's frustrating as a Steelers fan. It should be frustrating to other NFL fans. It seems like other NFL fans for some reason, like, like the Patriots now, it's it's really weird. Like I've seen a couple even well-respected analysts who kind of have jumped on board the Pats bandwagon, uh, and I hate that shit. I mean, it's, really, who, I, 
Like who? I'm not. No, no. no John Ho. Good try. Good try. Let's get some I'm, names out here. Hey, I'm no. They're I'm not, not listening. A, I'm not a rookie in this game. <laughs> I ain't no throwing no names out. But, but for real. I mean, I've seen a couple people that have been like, oh well, you know, I'm sick. My team doesn't want to put the whatever in and. You know, won't make the right move. So I'm a Pats fan and I just hate that crap. But it is what it is. You can't control other people, right? I'm a counselor. I have to tell myself these things too. Um, but yeah, it was just an awful game. Uh, obviously, from a Steelers fan's perspective, it was disgusting. Um, but it was just an, it was an, it was not an, for as entertaining as the Monday night games were. Well, the first Monday night game was um, the, you know, that, that Steelers Pats game was just, it was boring. I mean, I, I can't imagine too many people stuck around for all 60 minutes of that game uh, with how bad of a blowout it was. So, I mean, so as a podcaster, I like to think that we can control uh, what people do and how they think. And uh, that's why the three of us have microphones and the rest of you do not. I'm just kidding. Um, so as, as Steeler fans, I mean, is there what what can we kind of hang our hats on a little bit with this i mean what how from a fantasy perspective at the very least did you guys see anything that that you know that encourages you that that makes you feel like you know this this is going to be okay without ab without lev bell um you know it, it, that there's a, a turnaround coming maybe there's just a small adjustment period here um it, it, the the is a defense missing something that that can be easily corrected um or or i mean are you guys just kind of hunkering down and getting ready for a for a Denver Broncos type of year uh so i can go first uh watching watching the game i think the offense is going to be fine i think it was i mean Belichick is just a master game planner he he shut down Juju and the rest of that was Rookie Deontay Johnson, Moncrief had four drops, like which is the most he's ever had in a full season. So, I mean, things like that are just, I mean, that's not going to work for any team, regardless of who they are. So, I mean, I think there's just a, a bit of an adjustment curve. I think Juju will find his rhythm. James Conner should get more than 10 carries going forward and has kind of established his game as well. We kept doing this weird like pitch toss running instead of just letting Conner pound it because he's... I think he's the most physical runner in the NFL. Like, why are we giving him a, a pitch that kind of sets him behind before he even gets started? Like, that was confusing. And then the defense, I mean, there's a very easy thing that we can stop doing that's putting linebackers on these slot corners, but it seems like Mike Tomlin and just company just loves doing it, and it doesn't make any sense, and they keep burning us. And every game, I think it's going to change, and it never seems to change. But, I mean, the offense, I'm not too concerned about the defense. I do worry about the linebackers on the slot wide receivers if everybody is onto that. But no, I don't think it's a, a Broncos type year. I still think we can win 11, 10, 11, 12 games. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. I, you know, the one thing that has been consistent over the last two decades of the Patriots' dominance is they always kick the snot out of the Steelers every year. I mean, last year was the exception, not, you know, not the rule or not even not it's not it hadn't even been close you know the steel the Steelers don't beat the Patriots with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick so um we're used to this we're used to losing to the Patriots every year uh you know the good news is we've 
still been a perennial playoff team uh, who's won a couple Super Bowls. Now, I'll point out that both of the Super Bowl runs uh, that didn't happen in the 70s, both of them, they did not have to go through New England in the playoffs. I think it's the same path. <laughs> Their path to glory this year is the exact same thing. I don't think if they have to go through New England, they're in big trouble because they're not mm-hmm. going to beat New England. But but there are, you know, 27 other teams that they probably should beat um, given the talent level, given the, you know, coaching organization, the way it's run, all that. So um, I don't think, you know, it's a yinzer's nature, right? And you call me the yins, I'm going to yins a little. The yinzer nature is to freak out and fire everybody and call all these guys a bunch of bums. I I I'm, I don't think it's that point yet. I mean, we we have some time here. There's they're a very talented team. You know, I think that defense will get better as the season goes along too. Now, they're going to have to address the crossing routes. They're going to have to address covering those receivers with linebackers. They're going to have to keep Devin Bush on the freaking field. I don't understand why he's not on the field. That's exactly why he <laughs> traded up to draft that kid because he's athletic He's and he can cover just like Shazier kind of did, right? I mean, they were a different defense before Ryan Shazier got hurt. Um, and, and this is this, you know, it's the same thing. Why it's, it's, that's exactly why they traded up for Devin Bush. And then he doesn't play all that much in those situations. So I, I don't really understand that, um, from a coaching perspective, but they don't pay me millions of dollars to do that. <laughs> I wish they did. I'd, I'd, I'd take the money, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think it's time to panic. I think the Steelers, you know, history shows they will rebound from this and, uh, and with a strong showing in week two and, um, and I think fantasy wise, I think it's you know it's the same thing Ryan said too. I think James Conner is um, they will run the offense through him, uh, and when they do, those are going to be the games where they really I think take over and dominate the game um, because he's a talented runner and he can do stuff in the passing game too. I think you know they were trying to use Jalen Samuels a little bit um, too in that game. Again, probably game flow had a lot to do with that. Uh, just, you know, he's a good pass catching back. So, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm with Ryan. I'm not overly concerned. Nice. I, yeah. So last, last night, well, yesterday, the, uh, uh, I always, I always do this. I always try and explain like the way time works with podcasting. Like this is when we recorded it. This is when you listen to it. This is when I'm talking. And uh, it, yeah, it just it get, gets way too convoluted. So let me put it this way. We just did our standard operating procedures episode. Uh, Brian and our, Brian and I did. And Brian gave you Juju Smith-Schuster as a buy. And a buy, buy low right now. Uh, this is probably as low as it gets for Juju um, going forward. So so now's the time to to go buy him. Speaking of that, though. So my big issue, the the worst part of week one for me was just a complete lack of star power, particularly at the wide receiver position. So here were the top the the top 12 wide receivers going into Monday night. Um, So there's a you know, it's it's very likely that DeAndre Hopkins made it in as well. But 
before the Monday night game, it was Sammy Watkins, Deshaun Jackson, John Ross, Hollywood Brown, T.Y. Hilton, Keenan Allen, Philip Dorsett, John Brown, Larry Fitzgerald, DJ Chark, Jamison Crowder, Terry McLaurin. So where where are the big names? Where's Julio? Where's Odell Beckham Jr.? Where's Juju? You know, Mike Evans, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen. Where all where are all these guys? Brandon Cooks, all of the Rams guys. What you know, where where are these guys? Because week one, and we talked about this last night, week one is typically where you know the the stars shine the brightest. You've had the entire offseason to prepare for this game. You're, everybody's healthy, I'm, especially now that nobody plays in the preseason. All of these guys should have been ready and should have been healthy, should have been at full speed. And usually week one is where you just see an absolute explosion from the guys that you drafted in your top, you know, three rounds, four rounds of your of your startup drafts and, and your, your redraft uh, draft. So to, to have those guys all just completely absent is, is, is really pretty frustrating because if they can't do it in week one, there's a lot of people right now, guys who are, who are freaking out about the fact that they spent, you know, draft capital on these guys. And if you don't get anything from them in week one, when are you going to get that from them? That I, I don't think that that's, that that necessarily needs to be the concern. I I think that, you know, we're going to talk about some overreactions and I think that that would be one of them in a lot of these cases. But I think that there are a few of these guys where it's valid and we're not totally sure yet which ones it's going to be. Who who are the guys going to who are going to have a down season and now is the time to sell while they still have a little bit of name value. I guess my question to you guys would be, do you have, do you have any feeling or any kind of sense on that as far as, you know, give me, give me some guys that, that uh, out of that top, those top couple tiers of the wide receivers, the guys that you're trying to sell and the guys that you would hold. So first, let me say, I think you're exactly right. I think there's a lot of people that get really upset when they've invested a lot of draft capital uh, or or they've traded for a player where they've had to give up some stud players uh, and then that player doesn't produce. Um, it is very important not to overreact, obviously, um, to these situations. I think, it, I think this is going to be a really good practice, though, as far as just looking at guys that we think might be potential players that don't live up to their, you know, to where they're being drafted or to their value. Um, currently, um, I'm not personally concerned about Julio Jones. Um, who am I concerned about? Let me see. Okay. So the guy that I'm concerned about, and this hurts me to say is Stefan Diggs. Because I love Stephon Diggs. I love Stephon Diggs. But did you see them run the ball Sunday? Like all day long? <laughs> did you see them throw the ball? I uh, not not often. <laughs> yeah. not, not really. No. Uh, I mean, I, they, what was it? Ten attempts? Ten, ten, nine or ten passing attempts for Kirk Cousins. Right. And I think which, 
the third time in NFL or in the modern era, I believe, where a quarterback has attempted ten passes or less in a game. One of the one of them was uh, Tim Tebow. Uh, so that's not company that you want to be in. Yeah, and I think I did see a stat where somebody said I think before they before they took the lead at seven nothing, they threw. 80% of the time, like four out of five. <laughs> so that was hope, right? That, that this was, that it was just game flow. Um, and, and, and I even said last night when we were talking, John, that I thought that I thought some of that was game flow with digs. And I do think some of it's game flow with digs, but I also think that the plan there is going to be run first. I think they're going to try to get Dalvin cook going early in games. Um, you know, with the new zone read stuff and just trying to trying to establish the run um, and then use those guys off of play action and, and down the field. I, I, the, the thing with the thing with digs is the ceiling. I'm worried about the ceiling. I'm starting to worry about the ceiling. I love digs and I've been a proponent of his for a very long time. Um, and I still think he's one of the best route runners in the game. But for as long as Adam Thielen is on the other side of the field, it caps his upside because or it caps his ceiling. He he's not going to be a you know fourteen hundred yard, twelve touchdown guy. He just he's not going to be that with Adam Thielen on the other side of the field. You throw in Dalvin Cook out, catching passes out of the backfield, strong tight ends. You know I, I I am starting to get a little bit concerned about Diggs, uh, just in terms of his his situation there with all the other talent in Minnesota. Right. And and I, I, I get the digs concern as well. I mean, ten attempts for any team is with when you have digs and Thielen is just kind of crazy to me. I mean, I, I get the um the splits though with the lead. It's something I posted about this summer about digs um pushing him. And I just looked it up and when, when the score was within even fourteen points last year under the new offensive coordinator, they passed sixty eight times and ran it fifty six times and that's that's still with a positive game script, but it's much better than 10 pass attempts and 32 rushes, I believe it was, for the game. And so that is something I worry about, though, because the Vikings are a good team with a, a good defense. You saw what they did to the Falcons. And so if they get into those leads, I mean, there's definitely concern for Diggs and Thielen there this year that um, is kind of more dramatic than I thought it would be heading into the season. But if but if I have to pick somebody else that's higher, like a high wide receiver name that I'd be worried about, I kind I don't feel good about saying I'm worried about him. I would not be panicking on him, but the one that I feel the least great about would probably just be Mike Evans, honestly. Um against the 49ers seemed like a good matchup. Um had all offseason to prepare for this game at home. And I mean Jameis was Jameis. I mean, we'll we'll get into that. But um even when the team wasn't playing well, I mean Godwin still outperformed him. And so when a team's not playing well, I, I like to see them at least try to get their studs in the game to try to bring them back, and they didn't really do that with Mike Evans. So, I mean, I know Bruce Arians likes Mike Evans. He he's, he likes Jameis. He tried to defend him as, as much as he could, it sounded like, after the game. But, I mean, of the other top guys, I'm not really worried about uh, Devontae Adams or Julio Jones or Juju as much as I would be, I guess, about Mike Evans just because of who's throwing the ball and because Godwin already out-targeted in the week one. So here's one for, for both of you guys then. Odell Beckham Jr. There's a lot of people 
right now worried just kind of about that Cleveland offense in general for fantasy purposes. So I, you guys are AFC North guys. Uh, you're, you know, you're closer to the situation certainly than I am. Um, uh, and you know, without knowing how much you really got to see of that Tennessee game, uh, for the, for the people who right now are, are worried about what they've got with Beckham Mayfield Landry Chubb, you know, what, what are your feelings on those guys or or any of those guys that you are you trying to get out from under those guys right now or uh are you just kind of staying the course um do you do you feel like this is something that can be corrected so i'm gonna get into that a little bit later in the show foreshadow um (laughs) Um, so i will i will answer very very shortly here no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to take any of Brian's points that I think would be coming up. So I think he was on with the open bar pod when he heard my thoughts on Nick Chubb. But I think, yeah, if you're panicking on the Browns, if you're going to panic on the Browns and sell them, right now is not the time to do it after everybody saw what happened. Like, there, nobody's going to want to buy right now at a at a good enough price for you to sell. You might as well hold it for a good matchup. And then if you're still worried, then yeah, sell them then, but definitely not right now. Nice. All right. So since I already kind of jumped the gun on us, we'll move on to the next piece of this, which is over and under reactions. So a performance, a storyline, a development that you're willing to overreact to, you know, this is something that, uh, they, that you saw, uh, and you're, you're buying into it. And you're buying in all the way. You're all in on this on this development. So we'll start with you, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I think Chris Carson looked great this week. Yes, um, electric he, maybe. He, yeah, uh, I mean, he he dominated the snaps. I think he had seventy seven percent snaps. He he led the Seahawks in receiving. So that's its own stat or in receptions at least, not in yards. But he got a reception touchdown. He had a rushing touchdown. He looked great. I mean. It was. I don't know how the game was that close against Cincinnati. That's kind of impressive for the, the Bengals and their first year coach. But yeah, I mean, Chris Carson, the the Rashad Penny concerns at least this early on are pretty much non-existent. I drafted him as my running back two in Scott Fishbowl this year, and I mean, I kind of think he's going to finish as my number one now. I think he could. I, I'm willing to overreact and say he'd finish top eight with the Seahawks the way they run the ball. Um, they're getting him the targets now. He got I think seven targets. So. They told they said he wanted to, they wanted to get him fifty this year and he already got seven in week one so it's looking like that dual threat weapon he's got the command and it's a huge rushing offense so yeah I'm I'm all aboard Chris Carson yes I love that one the electric playmaker he I that wasn't even a real good game for him honestly you know it was it was kind of a down game but like what we found out is he's he's gonna get there on sheer volume you know. He's going to be in the top 12 every single week just on, you know, just on the, the, the amount of touches that he's going to get every single week. Uh, Plus, you know, they get down into the red zone and I mean, they just kind of stop throwing all together. It's, it's Chris Carson time down there. Yeah. And and one thing that was, I mean, a lot of people on Rashad Penny uh, this year, we're talking about how, you know, Penny's, younger it was his first season but i mean carson only played 
three games the year before. So they pretty much had equal experience and Carson outperformed him every single week. So I never really understood that. I get why if he's a, a rookie with a high draft pick, but it's not like Carson was bad when he had the field to his to himself before Penny got there. So oh, yeah, I'm, he not, was, I'm not too worried. Yeah. Yeah, he was excellent. And I, I think it was a like a broken leg or something like that that ended mm-hmm. his uh his rookie season. So it wasn't the type of it, it wasn't a soft tissue injury that was gonna cause chronic issues for him. You know, it was it was uh it was a bone, it heals, it comes back just as strong as it was. Um and uh yeah, so I mean I think that it really kind of came down to draft capital for people, and that's just it's it's a really abstract concept that people just can't quite get past. That and, and you know Brian kind of talked about this on the the uh, standard operating procedures episode, but essentially, you know the the idea that you strip away the names of the two draft picks, you know you you essentially you spent a first round pick and a sixth round pick on running backs, and out of that you got you know one of the best running backs in the league and a very very good backup to him. That's that's a win. You know, you don't have to overthink it beyond that. You don't have to say, well, but Penny was the first round pick. So, you know, the only way for this to not be a bust is for Penny to take over as a starter. That's that's not the case. They have the exact same net outcome either way. So it's it's totally reasonable for them to stick with Chris Carson. And it looks like they're going to do just that. Yeah, the uh, once uh, I I was looking for confirmation this week, and you, you like you said, it wasn't a great game, and they still gave him seventy seven percent of the snaps. It wasn't like a hot hand thing where Penny might dis- I mean, he might shock everybody, and all the Carsonos are going to be disappointed. Like he, I think he had like three yards a carry, but I mean, I mean, it was more than just three yards per carry if you were watching the game. But still, like stuff like that. I mean, they're not just going to ditch Chris Carson altogether. He got almost eighty percent of the snaps. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what do you think, Brian? What uh, what's something that you're willing to overreact to from week one? Yeah. So the first thing is uh, Baltimore's offense. I I mean, it pains me to say, right, as a Steelers fan, but I really like the Baltimore offense. Yes, they were playing Miami. <laughs> yes, I'm acknowledging right off the bat they were playing the Miami Dolphins. Who, I mean. We talked a little bit about him last night. Just what what a crapshoot. Um, so you know, we'll, we'll just leave that at what it is. But um, I I just I like the way that Lamar Miller commanded that offense. I like the running game. I think Mark Ingram is a great fit in that offensive system. Um, you know, and same with those receivers. I mean, I don't know that Hollywood Brown is ever gonna. You know, I mean, he he's a guy that can stretch the field, and that's important to have for a guy like Lamar Jackson, especially as he's getting out of his, you know, gets outside the pocket and looks, you know, if he can keep his eyes downfield, he's got a big arm, he can chuck it. So I think Hollywood's a guy that, uh, you know, can, can stretch a defense, but in this particular game, I mean, Lamar Jackson was hitting him in stride and it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful to watch. The run game was clicking. The throwing game was 
was clicking. Lamar Jackson didn't even have to run the ball. Like he, you know, I mean, everybody, I, I think the, the floor and, and Stompy talks about this all the time. The floor is so high because of the rushing yards. He didn't even run the ball, you know? Um, and, and I think I just, I'm, I'm all, I'm all aboard the Ravens offense. I think that they're going to do this this year. I don't think that defense is as good as it has been in the past. Uh, you know, we're used to hearing about Baltimore Ravens defenses being dominant. I don't think that the Ravens defense is quite as dominant as it has been in the past. Um, but I do like this offense a lot. I think it's the best offense they've had in Baltimore in a long, long time. Um, you know, and and yes, there will be games where Lamar Jackson struggles uh, throwing the football. It's going to happen. He's a young quarterback in the National Football League, and he plays in a tough division. Um, so I think those those games will happen. But I also think you saw a glimpse of what he's capable of moving forward here. I really do. I think uh, I think Baltimore's offense is an offense that I want as many as many parts of as I can get right now. Uh, you know, Mark Andrews too uh, didn't didn't even mention him there. I mean, what a stud at, at tight end. I mean, we're talking about a kid who's going to be. He's likely to finish in the top five of tight ends and. He's he's so young. He's gonna be. I mean, he's gonna be there for a long time. So uh, I I really like that kid. I think he's super talented, and I think he is the guy that Lamar Jackson looks for on most plays. Um, so I I really am buying into the Baltimore offense, and and then the other one that I put down real quick, and this is I haven't taken any humble brags yet uh, for week one, so I'm gonna do one here. Um, my most acquired player this offseason was Michael Gallup. Uh, he was a guy that I targeted early in the offseason, and um, I I acquired several shares, about a half a dozen across my leagues. Um, and I am very, very pleased with his week one performance. Seven targets, seven catches, 158 yards. Um, I, I, I think that this is going to be a theme this year. They're not all going to be, obviously, 158-yard games, but I do think that Michael Gallup is a difference maker on that offense. Uh, and I think he's a really talented receiver. I'm not going to go as far as James and say that he's the wide receiver one in Dallas, but I do think that he's a talented wide receiver uh, that that makes that offense, you know, even more dangerous than than it was last year. Now that he's matured and and kind of come into that role. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one because kind of the same way Baltimore had of had I mean it, an unfair advantage in playing Miami and I don't I don't want to you know diminish what they were able to do too much but we do have to kind of keep it in context a little bit that they were playing a team that has no interest in playing defense um, or really competing and potentially accidentally winning a game and costing themselves a, a shot at I assume to a um, the the New York Giants are right there with them as far as worst defenses in the league, I think. Uh, not quite as bad as Miami, but they're going to be up there for sure. Um, but, yeah, Michael Gallup is – it just adds a whole other dimension to that offense. I love that one. And as far, as far as Baltimore goes, they worked every level, and they didn't even take the shrink wrap off of Justice Hill yet, which was really annoying to me, but – uh, it, it just it gives me something to look forward to uh, possibly as early as week two. So, um, yeah, I'm on board with both of those. Yeah, I mean, Gallup was someone I like this offseason a lot, too. I, I love what I saw. Um, 
from, and there's the connection they had with Dak. He, I think he caught all seven of his targets. So, I mean, that's par- partially Giants defense, I know, but still, that's a great, great sign. I think he had over 20 yards of reception. So, he seems like a a volume play of Marquise Brown almost in a more stable offense so far. But I mean, Baltimore offense looked great. They they got the ball to everybody. They were praising Lamar Jackson's passing all off season, and we wanted to wait and see it. And I think we saw some of that too. So. Yeah, I, I'm, I think the Steelers got their hands full, Brian, with the, the Browns and the Ravens coming and the Bengals holding tight with the, the Seahawks this week. So should be interesting. Yeah, I think it's going to be real interesting this year uh, and moving forward here. Um, most of the teams, all of the teams in the AFC North, I think, are improved um, based on, you know, or improved over last last season. So, um and these young quarterbacks and now, you know, Cincinnati, hopefully Andy Dalton can play well enough to stay another year or two <laughs> in Cincinnati and save us a little bit, but yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. So here's what I want to overreact to a little bit. And it's, it's one that I actually don't really enjoy overreacting to, but I feel like I have to the rookie wide receivers, man, being, they were so involved and they, they were contributing immediately week one of their of their nfl careers and it's it's i mean for the longest time it was always a third year breakout that's what we're looking for with the wide receivers the last few years it's kind of turned into year two and then you know last year after a few games we started seeing something from uh you know from guys like calvin ridley and now i mean these guys and and I'm not even talking about Hollywood Brown necessarily. I'm not talking about Terry McLaurin. Is, is I think that those guys are still going to be flex worthy in most, uh, you know, most weeks. I think they're going to be flex considerations for you just because of the the touchdown upside. Uh, you know that they're going to take some shots in both of those offenses. You and you know that they're going to be looking for those two guys specifically. So, you know the. I, the the problem is I don't really want to chase, you know, 80 yard touchdowns. Uh, but I mean, you look at AJ Brown with 10 catches in his debut, you look at, you know, DK Metcalf, uh, what did he have? Seven catches over a hundred yards, something like that. Um, he had a nice stat line too. Let me get to it. Uh, he only had four catches, <laughs> but 89 yards, uh, six targets, which was second to only Chris Carson. Tyler Lockett only got two targets. Uh, DK got six. So, uh, it you know, they're, these guys are already looking for their rookie wide receivers. And, the it, you know, that that's something that I – first of all, it's sustainable, you know, that, that type of volume. I think you can trust that. And I think that that means these guys are going to contribute not only to their offense, but to your fantasy teams, you know, for, for their entire rookie season, they're, they're going to be in play. And some of these guys, you know, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf in particular, I think that you can probably, you know, they're, they're probably rubber stamp starters. If you're in a, you know, a wide receiver three type of, a three wide receiver league. So um, I I'm, I'm all in on the idea that these guys are going to contribute. Um, I, I, 
I don't really like it because again, you know, there was some of it there that was a little fluky and, and we're, that's something that we have to navigate, you know, the difference between that 70 yard touchdown to, to Terry McLaurin and, you know, 10 catches by AJ Brown. There, there is a difference there. There's some context there that we have to consider, but the fact that these NFL teams are not afraid to put their rookie wide receivers on the field and these quarterbacks are not afraid to look their way to target them. That's, that's pretty compelling. I think that that's going to be pretty important. And that's something that I am willing to, uh, to, to trust. Yeah. And, and one big stat that I didn't even know um, until today, just because I didn't hear anybody talking about it was Keyshawn Johnson had 10 targets. In his first oh, game. Oh yeah, yeah. So, I meant to bring him up. Yeah, like I'm. I'm not. I wasn't a big Keyshawn guy, but if he's going to get ten targets and the Cardinals <laughs> have more four four wide receiver sets than the rest of the league combined, then I mean, you 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 kind of have to like him no matter what. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. I mean, volume is king. You know. So the first thing is they're on the field, and, and it, there's kind of a a step by step process to to you know, kind of creating your own fantasy points. And it's first, I mean, you got to be on the field, obviously. Uh, and then from there, I mean, if you're going to get targeted, those two things, if you're going to, if you're going to have a high snap count, uh, Mecole Car- uh, Hardman, by the way, um, also was on the field for 78% of the, the chief snaps. So, you know, not a high target share, but I mean, he's, he's already checking off the boxes as well. So, um, I, 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 he's another one of those guys that I don't necessarily want to chase, but I think he's going to be a flex consideration most weeks because he's on the field. And, uh, again, these guys are, these guys are getting volumes. They're getting targets. So it's definitely something that, uh, that I think that we have to consider. So as far as some underreactions, some things, some developments that you're not, gonna overreact to in fact you're you're almost gonna completely dismiss it um and uh we'll start with you ryan yeah so i i put uh the vikings run pass splits and then as we talked about it with digs earlier it kind of made me rethink it and it sounds like i mean the vikings defense is solid uh kirk cousins is incredibly efficient i mean he's not lights out but he's super efficient with the ball and so I, I don't buy the the 10 attempts type, 10 to 20 attempts per game for the Vikings, anything like that. I mean, they have Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, who are two of the 15 best wide receivers in the NFL. Uh, so, I mean, Mike Zimmer's going to utilize them. I don't worry about the just that kind of low output. Dalvin Cook, we know what happens with him. Like, we, we want him to stay healthy, and the one easy way to do that is – to get Madison out there or to just spread the ball out and just get the chains rolling that way. So I don't, I don't buy into the fact that it's time to sell all the Vikings except for Dalvin cook. I'm holding on to Thielen. I'm holding on to Diggs. Um, yeah. I'm just, I think that's kind of looking at the box score, not the game and just seeing what happened. And so I think that's just something that, yeah, not too worried about right now. If it happens again for the next two weeks and that's kind of being the trend, then yeah, it was a bad investment this year. You probably can't get too much for them anyway if they do that for three straight weeks. But that's just kind of the nature of it. And the Vikings, I mean, I think they were both top 15 wide receivers last year. So 
it's just week one. Uh, it's nothing to worry about yet. Week two, they're at Green Bay. So I think we're going to find out pretty fast because what we saw with Green Bay is that they, they're improved all over the defense. They're, they can stop the run and they can, the, the offense did not look all that good against Chicago, but I, I think that they can still force you into a game script where you're going to have to throw the ball. So, so yeah, we're going to find out if, uh, how, just how committed they are to that that much of a of a discrepancy in the run the run pass split yeah and if Diggs is healthy then they don't just have to shut down Thielen I mean we 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 all know that when Diggs is kind of playing through his way on the game then he's not what he truly is and so I mean Diggs loves playing against the Packers he's torched them a lot recently so yeah, I'm excited to see what happens next next week. I think the Packers are going to focus on shutting down the run and making Kirk throw, but it's not a bad option if you're a Vikings fan. Yeah, definitely. All right, Brian, how about you? What are you going to underreact to? I'm going to underreact to the Browns' demise. Uh, so we're going to circle back around here kind of to what we were mentioning earlier. And I, I'm not concerned about the Browns offense at all, especially from a fantasy perspective. I mean, the Steelers fan in me wants to just point fingers and laugh and say, ha 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 and all of that stuff. But um, realistically speaking, you know, uh, it, it, it was a week one mishap. I mean, they didn't perform well. Baker didn't take a snap in the preseason, I don't think, um, you know, to work with all of these new weapons, right? So I, I'm just not overly concerned about the Browns. I think it's going to take them some time to learn how to win and to learn how to put all of the weapons to use in a manner that appeases everyone, both on their team and fantasy wise so uh i'm not concerned nick chubb i love nick chubb um you know i i think he's a just a stud uh and i'm not i'm not concerned about cream hunt there uh, that's a different conversation but um yeah I'm, I'm just not concerned about the browns i think the, their superstars are going to produce at superstar levels um jarvis landry's the only one for me that i'm not really you know I, i'm not really super high on but at the same time i appreciate his floor you know so um yeah, I'm just not overreacting to the Browns. I think it was an awful performance. It was a, a rough week one, especially given all the expectations that everybody had coming into the season. But I think that it's likely that they turn it around and uh, that those superstars, uh, Chubb and, and Beckham uh, and Baker, all produce fantasy-wise here moving forward. Yeah, music to my ears for sure. Uh, like I said earlier, that's, that's one that I think is uh, kind of concerning people right at the moment uh trying to find oh they get the jets they're at the new york jets on monday night this week um where cleveland is still favored by two and a half points on the road so um almost a touchdown on a neutral field so you know I, it, it seems like the money still believes in cleveland so i think that we probably can too I am going to underreact to the usage of David Montgomery and Miles Sanders. And I won't go too much into this because we did, we did talk about it on the, on the, the first episode of the week. Uh, but it, you know, when I, I essentially, I call these guys buys. I think that you can buy low on these guys. I, I we just saw what happens on uh, this past Monday night, we saw what happens when you 
just put the trust into your rookie running back and let him do what what you know he can already do you know Josh Jacobs had an excellent game for the Raiders and it it was just a matter of John Gruden getting past that that same anxiety I guess that NFL coaches have as far as trusting a rookie running back this is it it's not rocket science playing the running back position I know that you worry about fumbles I think that's there with every running back you know you, you, there's the pass protection piece fine that you can you can you can be concerned about whether or not these guys know their you know their assignments in pass protection that's that's fine but at the end of the day the guys that have to be on the field are the ones who can run the ball who can catch the ball who can get up field make people miss you know the and that's these guys these guys are just so much better than the players who they're coming off the field for miles sanders is is so is just leaps and bounds better than jordan howard david montgomery is better than mike davis this is just in it's it's one of those things where we all can see it it's just a matter of their head coaches ultimately deciding that that they can trust that and i think that that's coming i'm not worried about the fact that mike davis got almost as many carries as david montgomery and i'm not i'm not worried about the fact that jordan howard was just as involved as as miles sanders was it's it's just a matter of time before these guys get on the field and get significant workloads yeah, I definitely agree with that, John. I think I, I think you're 100 percent on there. I mean, both of these guys were drafted to be workhorse backs in their systems. Uh, in in my opinion, I th- I think you know, I think a lot of people worried, especially about Sanders in Doug Peterson's offense. You know, he, he tends to run a a running back by committee. You know, uh, there's always a couple running backs that have some value in that offense. Um, but he far and away looked like the best running back on the field, um, you know, for the Eagles, for sure. Uh, they, I mean, Darren Sproles looks good, too, but he is what he is, right? I mean, he's a he's a he's a scat guy. He's he's you know, he he's not a guy that you're going to give 20 carries to in a game where you take a lead. You know, I think Miles Sanders can be I, I think Miles Sanders can do. Everything well. He can pass protect well. He can catch the ball well. He can create well. He can grind well. He might not be exceptional at any of those, but he's solid to pretty good at all of them. Uh, And I think that's going to, in the long run, get him that job. And I think he'll run with it once he gets it. And and same thing with Montgomery in Chicago. So um, I like both of those guys. I think that's a a great... uh, that's a great point. I'd agree as well. Montgomery was my RB1 of the rookies heading into the season. And, I mean, the usage wasn't there, but my opinion, it's too early to change that at all. Jacobs looked good against um, the Broncos, but, I mean, I just love Montgomery's playing style. He, he can do it all. He's shifty. And so, I mean, I, that 27-yard reception uh, was a great play in the game itself, and I think that might have helped him earn some trust from Matt Nagy and that staff um, and Miles Sanders, 
he definitely looks like the best running back in the Eagles' backfield. So, yeah, I totally agree. Not time to panic. Uh, I still prefer Montgomery just slightly to Jacobs as a whole for the season. Um, but, yeah, that's that, that could change. But either way, that's a great spot to be. Ryan, I hate that we're finally just now getting on podcast together for the first time because Chris Carson's electric, David Montgomery's awesome, Jameis Winston is trash. We, we're like in lockstep on so many of these things. And we could have we could have teamed up on particularly on Stompy, kind of on James, and actually a little bit on Brian <laughs> when it comes to Winston. We we and we could have set these guys straight together, but alas, I had to uh, fight the battles myself. But now you're I'm sorry, here, man. I'm here now. Good. I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You, you got me. So here's to the, the, to the so, so here's the important question, Ryan. What do you think yeah. about Saquon Barkley? I think he's good at football. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. You can stay. <laughs> that's that's the that's the litmus test right there. <laughs> at, at least from this side of the, uh, at least from this side of the table. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We, we we won't talk about we won't talk about Nick Chubb. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One last set of uh, of things we want to talk about here. So so this is you know speaking of some kind of off season things that we were talking about. Um, you know, Chris Carson was, a sounds like a big one for both me and Ryan. Uh, but we've got a few others here. So we're going to start with something that you want to step back from, you know, a predict, a prediction or a projection that you were making in the off season that after week one, you feel like you need to back off it at least a little bit. And again, we'll start with you, Ryan. So the one I'm backing off from. At the end of May, early June, I said Marlon Mack was a mid-RB2 to low-RB2 in Dynasty. And the reasoning behind it, I still stand behind. And I th- I think it showed itself in week one. But the problem is I don't really think my hesitations or concerns matter all that much. Because he had, I believe it was 25 carries for 174 yards and a touchdown against the Chargers defense. So... He, when he's healthy, he's been great. Um, my concern with him was the misconception of targets just kind of based on his body frame. I, I made a quiz at the end of May just asking you know, people to vote on what was his target total. from, And he had 24 targets in 2018, which was way lower than I thought he would be for his body size. And just, uh, you know, that's kind of the, the label they get. And so, I mean, over 40% of the people thought he had nearly – 50 targets or more when they voted. So that was just a misconception that the receiving work wasn't there because Naheem Himes is in town. But like I said, that Colts offense, it was great with Andrew Luck there, but even without him, they might even lean on him even more. So I don't think the uh, lack of receiving work matters all that much when he's getting 25 out of the 29 carries and doing seven yards per carry with that. So I think he's, you know, a, a low RB one, high RB two, right around fifteen. But my my concerns were definitely wrong so far in the season. That one was a little bit of a tricky one, uh, especially with Andrew Luck retiring. It it it, you know, the questions became like, what happens to the rest of this Colts offense with Jacoby Brissett? And I still don't think Jacoby Brissett is all that good. I mean, he looked he looked he looks so much better in week one than he did in 2017. 
and I get that it's a better offensive line. I I don't think that the the weapons are that much better. Uh, the defense is the defense is certainly better, and that can also kind of cover up some blemishes for the offense. So, you know, I I I get that it's a different roster. Um, but I, I still think that it, it's valid to have concerns about Jacoby Brissett running this offense as opposed to Andrew Luck. It's an obvious downgrade. So, you know, there I think that it, there were a lot of concerns. I don't think it was just you. There was there were a lot of people wondering what does this do to Marlon Mack? What does this do to T.Y. Hilton? You know, those those two in particular, it it you know it it feels like you have to have downgraded them. And so far, both of them have been, at least in week one, they were both just fine. Uh, so what about you, Brian? Give us uh, something that you're willing to step back a little bit on, something that you want to back off at least a little bit from the offseason. As much as it hurts me to say, I have to take a step back from Corey Davis. Um, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a believer of the talent uh, that Corey Davis possesses, but this offense and this situation just it's it's just it's not getting better it's not getting better three targets zero catches zero yards i'm i mean what are we doing like i i just i i i think i had him pegged for around 1100 receiving yards and eight touchdowns this year there's no chance <laughs> after week one that that, that that happens there's no chance at all um so I'm taking a little bit of a step back. If his situation were to change, if he's a guy that were to be traded somewhere or um, John, please don't take offense to this because I'm not trying to argue with you <laughs> about Marcus Mariota. Okay. We argue on this show. It's okay because he, because he had a pretty nice game for Marcus Mariota uh-huh. on Sunday. He really did. Yeah. Um, but he threw 14, 14 of the 24 passes he threw were to tight ends or running backs. Uh, there were only 10 passes thrown to wide receivers and, and Davis had three of those 10 targets. Um, I, I just, I don't, I just, he, he's, he's not a quarterback that produces fantasy wide receiver statistics for his guys. It's just, it's just not the case. Now Delaney Walker. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and a couple of those running backs potentially, but, he just he doesn't throw the ball to his wide receivers and and produce the stats there. So uh, I'm worried about Corey Davis. Finally, it's it's taken me a long time to get here because I am a believer in the talent. I really like the player coming out of school, um, even though you know small school uh, and and concerns about competition. I wasn't ultimately concerned about that because I thought he was a really talented kid, but. And I and I still do. I think he has the talent. I just don't think that the situation is ideal. Uh, and he's a player that just you know. I mean, three targets. I mean, even if he catches all three, what are the chances that he does something with them that is fantasy relevant? So I am taking a step back from Corey Davis. Uh, ouch! So <laughs> so much of that hurt. I am I I. So I don't actually know this, and I'm kind of curious to find out. Uh, I wonder how much Denzel Ward was on Corey Davis, which, you know, that's not meant to be an excuse by any means because AJ Brown beat Denzel Ward uh, a couple times. So, um, but I, I, 
I think the thing with Corey Davis has always been, you know, that that elite high end wide receiver one. He was never going to be that. You know, he's still the type of guy who's susceptible to being shut down by some of the top corners in the league. And we've seen that pretty consistently from him. Well, and unfortunately, too, he's got he's got some guys in his division that he's got to deal with. Yeah. Jalen Ramsey and, you know, and Ward. And so it's 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 not well, Ward, I guess, wouldn't have been in his division. But but Ramsey is in the division. He's got to see him two more, you know, twice this year. Um, I haven't looked ahead at their schedule, but I, I just, you know, I, I think you're uh, trust me I, again. I'm I've been with you on the Corey Davis train. We've been on the same train. I just feel like I have to take a step. I, you know, it's it's like we've gotten to that one stop where it's like the last stop, kind of, and either you're still on board and you're going to go down the tracks, or you got to jump. And I, I feel like I'm at least leaning at this point. It's just, it's just, you know, it's it's rough right now. I, I mean, zero ta- zero catches on three targets, and they score forty three points. It's just. You know, I mean, I don't expect that Tennessee will come anywhere close to scoring 43 points in another game this season. And yet, Corey Davis had absolutely nothing to do with that offense. So, yeah, that's uh, it's it's frustrating for sure. I mean, I, I have several shares across my leagues and it's certainly frustrating. Um, I want to hold on, John. I really do. <laughs> yeah. Same here. So week two, they get the Colts. Uh, I believe it's Pierre Desir is their top cover guy. Um, let's see. Week three, they're at the Jags. There's that Ramsey matchup you were talking about. Week four, they get the Falcons. Um, I I think that's a that that could be a plus matchup for him. And then he gets uh, the Bills and Tredavious White. The Broncos with Chris Harris and uh, the Chargers with uh, Casey Hayward. So I mean, it doesn't sound <laughs> real good. Where's the good news? Yeah, yeah, seriously, yeah. So I mean, you're kind of looking at at one plus matchup out of the next seven or the next six. So uh, yeah, I, it's it's gonna be rough for Corey David. If 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 that really was the case, if it was just a matter of the coverage um you know the the their top coverage being shifted over to Corey Davis which would kind of stand to reason and if that doesn't change <laughs> yeah it's it, i i don't i think you've got one game here where you're willing to start Corey Davis uh in the next you know 6 weeks ouch <laughs> so so John what well, i'm interested to see what are you stepping back from I'm, oh man, I'm glad Stompy's not here for this one (laughs) (laughs) because, because I have to step, I I have to take a step back on Lamar Jackson. I, on, on particularly on the passing abilities. So, I mean, for full transparency, even though Stompy and I had to argue a lot about Lamar Jackson, I actually, I, I was pretty high on Lamar Jackson. I've I've got him ranked ahead of guys like Mitchell Trubisky, Sam Darnold. I had that going into the season. I had him ranked uh 13th, I believe, just outside my top 12. Um and 
I, I mean, I felt like that was a reasonable ranking for him. The problem is his, you know, his, his uh, Stompy is, is somehow related to him. I think, I mean, I can't, I can't come up with any other reason why this is just such a sore subject for him. Uh, I don't, I don't know if, if Lamar Jackson saved his life somewhere along the line or what, uh, but uh, loaned him some money. Maybe, I don't know because Stompy gets extremely defensive about Lamar Jackson and calling him anything other than essentially the second best quarterback in the league. And I could never get there. And, uh, and a big part of it was the passing, you know, it's, it's fine that, you know, he's got the rushing upside. That's, that's great for fantasy purposes for one year. Right. The problem is that's not something I want to chase. That's not something that I can feel comfortable with on a week to week basis, much less year to year basis. Because, and it's the same thing with running backs. We talk about this all the time with the running back position. The amount of carries that they get, that's what leads to so many of these injuries. When you, it's just, it, with a quarterback, they're obviously, they're, it's not the same type of carries every time. But, I mean, you're more susceptible to taking a big hit. And, you know, it, it can lead to injuries. And not only that, but the coaching staff knows that. The offensive coordinator knows that. Greg Roman knows that you don't want Lamar Jackson running the football 27 times in a game anymore. That's your franchise right there. That's your future. You can't have him running the ball and taking those type of hits. So that was the big concern is, okay, so if they if they try and take away the running and make him stand in the pocket and and throw the ball, How's that going to look? We saw flashes in his rookie year. There were every now and then he would unleash a beautiful deep ball, but he was also largely inaccurate a lot of the time. Well, in week one against Miami, and again, I I think that it is important just for a little bit of context to throw in the fact that Miami is going to be the worst defense in the NFL all year long. But, Still, I mean, that doesn't change the fact that Lamar Jackson's deep balls were right on the money. He he completed all but two of his passes, 20 attempts. You know, it wasn't a, a, a ridiculously high amount. He didn't need to, um, but he was very efficient. Uh, he, he stood in the pocket and, um, you know, he, you didn't really see that temptation to tuck and run. Uh, you, you, you know, you didn't even see the, the kind of the happy feet where, you know, where the discomfort pocket, he, he looked perfectly comfortable just standing in the pocket and throwing the ball down the field and his passes were on the money. And if, if that's what we're going to get from Lamar Jackson, then I'm all in. If he's going to be that type of quarterback, if he can develop into you know, more of a passing quarterback and not ask us to rely on the rushing upside, then man, like the sky is the limit for Lamar Jackson. So I'll absolutely back off based on what I saw because he looked like a polished passer to me. I I would agree. I mean, he looked sharp for the Miami defense. Um, I, I know that, um, 
Harbaugh was talking about how they plan to revolutionize the way offenses are run in the NFL this year with what they've got uh, cooking up, I guess. And it, I mean, they look great uh, this week against Miami. And so I think that's just the beginning of what it's going to look like. Obviously I don't think it'll be that efficient or that wide open, but I, I like that they have, you know, they have a big receiver in Snead who excelled in new Orleans and can play a good role in Baltimore. Uh, they have Marquise Brown to stretch the field. They've got Mark Ingram, who was great in New Orleans. I mean, it's not like he's washed up or anything like that. And then they got Justice Hill, who you talked about earlier. They haven't even taken the shrink wrap off of. So they've got a lot of interesting looks they can do this year. And while I don't think we've seen any revolutionary type offenses, this was at least a showing in the right direction that says maybe they do have something special coming up this year. That's enough for me to feel good about. Yeah, and I think the other thing here with the Ravens, I, I, you know, they, they create an offense that is that fits their talent. You know, I mean, they're they're not they're not they don't have the fastest running back, or they don't have the best throwing quarterback, or they don't have, you know, I mean, all of the guys. When I look at the players that are in this offense. They all fit the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, Mark Ingram, again, I, Mark Ingram is a an absolute perfect fit for that offense. Then you have Justice Hill for like third down work, right? Then you have, you got Mark, Mark Andrews, the security blanket for a quarterback who last year at least was a little skittish in the pocket and, and his natural tendency is to run. So, you know, they, so they have a nice security blanket in Andrews. They have a, 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 uh, a, a, like like Ryan was saying, a bigger wide receiver in, in Willie Sneed who knows how to get open and who knows how to sit down in his own. Um, you, you have Hollywood Brown to stretch the field. You have another rookie, Miles Boykin, who we haven't even mentioned tonight, who's going to be an unbelievable red zone matchup. You know, when they get down inside the 20-yard line, this team's going to score touchdowns because either one of those weapons is going to be utilized or Lamar Jackson is going to take off with the football. So, I'm a hundred percent on board with with the, you know I talked about it earlier, uh, but but John, you know, you taking a step back on Lamar, I'm a hundred percent with you. I I think he's a really talented kid, and I think they've built this offense around his skill sets, and they've got they've brought guys in that fit that system. So I'm really excited about this. I mean, I'm excited from a fantasy perspective about this this system. I'm not excited as a Steelers fan because I think it's going to be extremely hard to defend. Um, so, but. You know, we'll see what happens here moving forward, but I, I like that a lot. I think I think that uh, you know I'm I'm on board with Baltimore right now. Here's the other thing: Week two, they're at home against the Arizona Cardinals. Week three, they're at the Kansas City Chiefs. Week four, they're at home against the Cleveland Browns, who we just saw they're they're beatable. Then they're at you guys as Pittsburgh Steelers. That is going to be their toughest matchup of the season you know, to that point. And then they're at home against the Bengals before they finally start getting some actual tests on, on the offensive side when they travel to Seattle and then host the Patriots. This is a, uh, this, this schedule is, is just, it's a dream for a, a quarterback who can throw the ball. So that the fact that we saw that from Lamar Jackson and we saw that we can, we can, at the very least, we can trust him 
in those plus matchups because he's got a bunch of those coming. So, yeah, uh, y- you have to be excited about what Lamar Jackson's got coming up. There might be a <laughs> – I'm, I'm so, again, so glad Stompy's not here so that I can say this part. There might be a sell window, you know, after after that first, uh, maybe even the second Cincinnati game. But I can't even. I can't even. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm rage quitting this podcast. I, I tried. I can't even. I can't. I can't even come close to the greatness of <laughs> of Stomp. Uh, but I tried. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's still ringing in my ears from uh, from several weeks ago. So uh, you don't you don't need to recreate it. All right, one last piece here. So something from the off season that you want to double down on a predict a prediction or a projection that you made in the off season that you still feel strongly about, and maybe even more. Uh, strongly than you did at the time and let's start with ryan as always all right so my my computer just died on me so i'm going to do this without the numbers but my uh my two my two boldest i know what am i without my numbers how's this gonna happen (laughs) Um, (laughs) just a butt now (laughs) exactly um but my my two boldest calls i think of the season and i think i was one of the Earlier people, it's too early to take a victory lap. I don't like taking a victory lap anytime before week four. But the two guys that seem to make me look the best right now are D.D. Westbrook and Tyrell Williams. They both balled out this uh, this week. And so I'll start with Tyrell because he had the, the better game of the two. Uh, I, I wish we could have seen him with A.B. out there because I think he would have been just as good with A.B. taking you know, the, the tough match the tougher matchups away and letting Tyrell stretch the field. Um, so it's a bummer that we don't get to see that exact reasoning work out. But if you have Tyrell, he, I mean, he played great last night, uh, watched the whole game and he was just constantly getting open. He was making the, the defenders, keeping them on their toes or on their heels rather, if you're, if you're uh, trying to defend him, but he was, he was making big plays. He made that clutch first down to, to ice the game yesterday. And so I think, it's someone that you can lock in almost as a starter is definitely a flex, maybe even wide receiver two of the way um, it goes the next couple of weeks. We'll see. But Tyra Williams is someone I'm doubling down on. Uh, love him. Lo- have been on him all summer and, and excited to see what he comes up with for the, for the year. I think he posted an 1100 yard season in 2017. See, this is me without my numbers, but uh, I think he posted that when he got the actual chance to be a, a lead receiver on a team. And so with someone, with like Derek Carr, who I think is a bit underrated. I mean, he had a he had a rough go of it last year, but he was the number one deep passer uh, per Pro Football Focus last year. So matching him up with someone like Tyrell, I think great things could happen, and he could be a league winner for the value that you got him in drafts. And then the second one, this one's literally a double down on D.D. Westbrook because I think with Gardner Minshew there, I think he'll be just as good as he would have been with Nick Foles. The reasons I love D.D. Westbrook this year was because Nick Foles was a, a shorter A-dot passer who was super accurate, and that's exactly what Minshew did at Washington State uh, with Mike Leach. That's just the system they ran, and Minshew was great at it. I think he was a Heisman finalist. So uh, he in college, he had like seven, seven yards per attempt and 10 yards per completion, and so that's kind of right in Didi's wheelhouse where he can get open and create that separation, and I think he's just going to keep taking over and, the deeper receivers like Marquise Lee and DJ Shark, uh, 
Shark had a great first game. That's another breakout player that we didn't really talk about much um, against the Chiefs defense, but still, I think Gardner Minshew is an, an efficient passer. I liked him a lot when he was going through the draft process. I was kind of shocked to see him fall so late, um, but yeah, I think the Jags got a great backup in him, and I really hope they don't play Josh Dobbs <laughs> if uh, they're going to go for D.D. Westbrook. But I think, yeah, I'm doubling down on D.D. Remaining a top 20, 24 wide receiver this year, I think he can just soak up all those targets that Minshew is best at on the field. Man, the great thing about D.D. is just, I mean, you you know, you mentioned Shark. Uh, they still have Marquise Lee coming back at some point. Um, and then Chris Conley, it, it, there are just so many options on that offense that it's like, who do you defend? You know, you can, you can try and take DD Westbrook out of the game, but they still have guys who can beat you. So that's, it's such a sneaky, deep wide receiving core. So yeah, I love that one. Tyrell Williams, by the way, in week two is at home against the Kansas city chiefs must start. That is a must start situation. So the the only real difference between the Broncos and the Chiefs is the Broncos can actually they actually have a little bit going on in the secondary. Where the I mean the Chiefs have, you know, they've got Honey Badger that they're that they're gonna be able to put on uh I I don't even know. I, maybe Darren Waller will see some of Honey Badger, but uh, beyond that, I think it's gonna you know they're 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 not really they they're they're more of a pass rush type of defense. Derek Carr got the ball out of his hand in just over two seconds on average. That pass rush just gets absolutely neutralized by that, just the way they run that offense. So, yeah, that's Tyrell Williams is going to be a great one for week two for sure. And then we're going to find out in week three when they travel to Minnesota. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's an interesting one. Uh, what do you got, Brian? Uh, I have T.Y. Hilton still having a massive season uh, this year. You know, when Andrew Luck retired, obviously that's a that's a big blow to that type of prediction. Um, you know, but but T.Y. looked good yesterday, and he was targeted nine times, had eight catches for eighty-seven yards and two touchdowns. Um, this season's going to be an interesting season for Hilton. I do think, you know based on the targets that he got in week one, uh, how many times he was targeted, uh, you know, I, I think he's likely to get somewhere in the realm of 80 receptions this year, uh, 75 to 80 receptions. And we've seen over the course of his career, you know, he has, uh, he, he's typically, I think 15.9 yards per reception is his career average in that regard. So, uh, a little lower in week one this year uh, than, than uh, his career average. But if he gets, if he starts creeping back up towards those numbers, he's going to have another season of 12 to 1300 yards. Uh, and I do think he could catch some more touchdowns this year. He's never had more than seven in a season. I think that changes this year. I think T Y is a guy that is targeted in the red zone more this year. And of course he's going to score a couple long touchdowns because he always does. Uh, so that combination just leads me to believe that he's he's going to have a big season. It's going to be a big year for Ty. Um, 
I, I, I like a lot of the weapons in that Colts offense still. You know, I was concerned, obviously. I mean, obviously, anytime you lose a, a guy like Andrew Luck, you know, we're talking to, we're not talking about a, a scrub quarterback. I mean, this guy's a top five quarterback pretty much in everybody's mind. Uh, and he, he retires in his prime. You know, that affects the offense. And I think it's right to be concerned about the weapons in that offense. But they look pretty decent uh, in week one, operating with Brissett at the helm. Brissett is not Andrew Luck, but I do think that he's I do think that he's capable of sustaining some of the uh, I'm I'm not so on him for fantasy production, but I do think he can sustain some fantasy production for a few of the other weapons in that offense. So, I'm going to stick with TY. Uh I just love the guy too. I mean, he's exciting to watch. He's a lot of fun. So, I'm going to stick with him here uh and hope that I'm correct that he's going to have a big year. Uh, it probably won't be as large as it would have been if Andrew Luck was was still at the helm of that offense, but I still think T.Y. is going to have a pretty big year. Yeah, and Andrew Luck may be gone, but Frank Reich is still there, and that's enough for T.Y. Hilton to have tremendous fantasy value. He's a great offensive mind. And and I'm a state, I'm a state alum, state grad student right now, so Jacoby, you know, I like to see him get the opportunity, but Obviously, he's no Andrew Luck, but he can he can manage the game and do what Frank Reich is implementing, and yeah, you know, get Hilton those opportunities and spread the ball around efficiently. I would say. Yeah, John, I'm interested to hear kind of your take on that because I know you're not a Jacoby Brissett guy. Um, so I'm interested to hear on what you think about Hilton now that Luck has retired, and um, and what you feel about that kind of take or double down. No, I think I'm with you. I mean what we saw in 2017 was, you know, a, a, a really pretty impotent offense overall led by Jacoby Brissett. But the one, you know, the, the one thing that remained was high volume for T Y Hilton. Um, he, uh, he was by far Brissett's favorite target. Uh, he led the team in receptions and yards. The only thing that was really missing was the touchdowns. And I, I, I think that with a, you know, you've got a more credible running game. Now you certainly have the offensive line to support that. Uh, and you have an offensive line that can actually kind of give Jacoby Brissett a little bit of time to, to sit in the pocket, um, and, uh, and deliver the ball down the field, uh, which, uh, you know, I, I, there's definitely some touchdown regression there, um, available to T Y Hilton. And, and I just, Beyond that, I mean, you kind of talked about the the weapons and, and, you know, they just lost Devin Funches, uh, broken clavicle, I believe. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah. Um, and a, a trip to IR. Uh, so, you know, I, I is where I said that, you know, rookie wide receivers are ready to contribute right away. Um, I, I don't necessarily feel that way with Paris Campbell. Uh, you know, you've got the tight end position is, uh, is, is definitely viable, but for the most part, there's not a whole lot there, uh, for, you know, as far as pass catchers go beyond T Y Hilton. And that was the case in 2017. And, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of didn't matter. It didn't matter that you, 
you know, you, you really only had to take away T Y Hilton. People still, the team still had a tough time doing it. Now. I, I mean, I will say in 2017, a lot of his production came in like three big games, I believe. Um, so I, we would definitely like to see it spread out a little bit more over the course of this entire fantasy season. Uh, but I, I think that everything's in place for that to happen. And the bottom line for me is I don't think, and we've seen evidence of this many, many times over. I don't think that the quarterback has to be good for the wide receiver to be good. I think that you can get a thousand yard season and I think you can get close to double digit touchdowns out of T.Y. Hilton without Jacoby Brissett being, you know, any, any, anything special or really even worthy of a starting job beyond 2019 if he's able to assuming he's able to keep it so uh yeah i I, i'm fully on board with this one to me the two guys who weren't really affected a whole lot by the retirement of andrew luck is marlon mack and ty hilton and we touched on both of those guys tonight so one last for you guys uh, and I mean, this is it, this is pretty simple for me, but I'm doubling down on the fact that Jameis Winston is terrible. He's absolutely god awful. The, the 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 whole idea for for most was you bring in Bruce Arians and that's going to change everything for Jameis Winston. And for me, all off season, it was it was the opposite. It was you bring in Bruce Arians because he's got the cachet. He's got the the authority to actually bench Jameis Winston and this nightmare already move on. And he brought Blaine Gabbert with him. Now Blaine Gabbert's dealing with an injury. So uh, we might be stuck with Jameis Winston a little longer than expected, but he brings his guy Blaine Gabbert with him and, and just leaves open the door the, for the possibility of, you know, just, just getting Jameis Winston out of there once and for all. He's in his walk year here. He's in the you know the fifth year option of his rookie deal. You can move on from him with absolutely no cap hit after the 2019 season, and I think that that's got to happen. He just it, it wasn't it wasn't totally his fault in in every case. I mean, I think that the 49ers have probably a little bit better secondary than what we expected. And I think that, I, I mean, we know for a fact that O.J. Howard dropping balls and, in fact, having one careen off of his hands and uh, turn into one of the three interceptions for Jameis Winston uh, certainly contributed to the problem. But the bottom line is Jameis Winston makes bad decision decisions. He turns the ball over. It's it, And the problem for us is that it's going to spill over to these weapons of his. It's going to be really hard for him to support Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, OJ Howard, you know, much less any of the the more peripheral guys. It's it's it, it just nothing has changed. This this is a guy who's never been a quarterback one in his entire career so far, and it, it's it's not going to change. We just saw the exact same thing that we've ever seen from Jameis Winston. One touchdown, three interceptions. Get ready for for that stat line every single week where those interceptions are just going to counterfeit 
any touchdowns that he throws. The guy's terrible, and it it this this change has to be coming this season. John, do you think that the Bucks are a candidate? I mean, are they going to be bad enough that they're going to be picking early enough to go after one of the bigger name quarterbacks that should be coming out in this draft? Man, it's it. I think it's possible. Yeah, I. It, uh, you know, I'm 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 just thinking about some of the other teams that are going to be in that range. Obviously. Miami's all in on the first overall pick. Uh, you know, some of uh, some of the other teams though that are going to be in that range, you're looking at you know, probably the Giants, probably Washington. They and already those, have they, they already have their they just drafted their first round quarterbacks. Right. You know, um I I <laughs> this this one hurts, but I think Denver's going to be in that range. Uh and and they actually might make a move for a quarterback uh possibly um but yeah i mean i i think yeah a lot of the teams that are going to to be in that range feel pretty set at quarterback overall so um i think that it's a good possibility Uh, i think they also have options though in free agency as well so um i i I don't know. I I think that it's they don't necessarily even have a plan beyond 2019. That's kind of my feeling, but I think that they know that you know something has to drastically change fast in order for this to even for for Winston to even be in the conversation for 2020. And I don't I don't think he's capable of it. I really don't. Yeah, my, uh, my best friend's actually a Buccaneers fan, so I've seen plenty of these games and just the pain <laughs> on his face as Jameis makes boneheaded decision after boneheaded decision. It's <laughs> it's uh it's funny to watch as a as a Steelers fan, but it's getting less and less funny. The Steelers uh have been having their own problems, but I think the secret to kind of shutting down Jameis Winston is just getting pressure on him and making him have to make a split second decision. Because he's had so many passes where he's getting sacked and he just throws the ball up in the air and he gets picked off. And so I think San Francisco has a great defensive line with Bosa and Buckner and uh, Solomon Thomas and D. Ford, I believe it is, too, as well. So they they got a great rushing attack. I think that's what, what it took to shut Jameis down. And so I think the best thing that the Bucks could do is if they let him walk and they're not bad enough for the first overall pick, but maybe they – are bad enough to get Justin Herbert. I think he'd be perfect for this Buccaneers offense with those weapons. I was at the uh, Oregon Auburn game a couple weeks ago and just watching him play. I just all I could think about was him on the Bucks and what he would do. He, I think he would just be a perfect fit for that. I I I love that concept. Other than the fact that I happen to know that the Broncos love Justin Herbert as well, and I would I would really prefer to see him here in Denver. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think you're right. That's a that's a great fit for him. The other problem is so is, as far as Winston goes, I think he belongs. He could be a game manager. That's the thing. Like they keep expecting him to be this dynamic playmaker, and he's never going to be that. And the problem is they have no defense, and it creates a negative game script where you have to throw the ball, and the defense knows it's coming, and they can just 
They can blitz him. They can throw exotic coverages at him and confuse him. And, you know, the, the farther in the hole he gets, the, the worse the decisions become. And as the clock starts to wind down, I mean, his ability to run the two-minute drill is god-awful. It, it's just, this is stuff, these are all things that, that don't really translate in a box score. But if you're Bruce Arians in particular, you've, you've got to recognize the fact that, you know, when you're chasing points, when you're, you know, when the clock is starting to wind down um, and you need him to, to run the two minute drill, that's when the decisions are the worst. That's when his ability to process information takes the biggest hit. And that's not something that, that uh, an offensive mind like Bruce Arians is going to be willing to, to, to settle for. So, yeah, I, I still think that that move is coming in 2019. And if week one was any indication, it could be coming sooner rather than later. Here we go, Steelers. Here we go. Yes. <laughs> nice. Sorry, I had to. <laughs> I take my Barkley. He's the goat. He's the goat. Yeah. Okay. And where'd he go to school? He went to Penn State, just in case you didn't know. And I, I live right down the street from there. So, yeah. Uh, what about Miles all. Sanders? Where'd that guy go? Oh, he went to Penn State, too. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Godwin? Yeah, Penn State. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, okay I'm done. <laughs> all right. Yeah, we just had to sneak a few of those in before we wrap it up. Uh, but, guys, this is a fun one. And, uh, again, Ryan, I'm so glad that we finally got a chance to get on here together. And uh, looking forward to more of these going forward. I know. Sounds and, like we'll we'll have a lot of lot of players to go into battle for. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> right. And uh, Har, always a pleasure, of course. Uh, yes, sir. And uh, we'll 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 get plenty of opportunities to talk uh, with these five a week, five episode a week. Uh, this this format that the Super Show is going into for the rest of the season. So, in case you missed that, the Superflex Super Show five times a week. Five episodes a week. So we already did the standard operating procedures. That one came out on Tuesday morning. And then uh, obviously this uh, this episode, uh, the, the regular episode, that'll still come out every single week. And then Wednesday nights, this is a big one too. You're going to want to uh, send us your, your trade polls, send us any questions you've got on whether it's strategy or roster build or uh, uh, commissioning a league, whatever questions you you might have, uh, fantasy football related, uh, certainly with a Superflex slant, but it's, it doesn't have to be. Either send them to us at Superflex Show or join us for a live show on YouTube where you're going to be able to comment and uh, ask us your questions there. So we've got a live show coming up uh, with, uh, it's going to be Stompy, John McGlynn, and uh, Dr. Ethan Turner. So that's going to be a really interesting one. So uh, if, you have, if you have injury questions, you can send them on to Ethan. Uh, and then Stompy and, and John can help you out with just kind of roster build stuff and uh, trade questions and whatever you got. Make sure to send them. Uh, join them for the live show and, uh, and ask your questions there. And then later in the week, we also have two start-sit episodes. We'll split the entire NFL slate into two episodes and uh, 
get you get you prepared for the entire week of NFL games. So much going on. So check all of those out. But we're going to wrap this one up for the week. And as we do, ask you for a quick favor. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe to the DLF Family of Podcasts Mega Feed. Get access to all of the great podcasts from DLF. And once you're subscribed, if you'd give us a rating and review, not all podcatchers give you that option, but on the ones that do, those ratings and reviews help us to expand our reach, get out to a larger audience, involve more people in the conversation. And from there, we can really zero in on the topics that are the most useful to you, the listener. And in the vein of listener interaction, send us your trades on Twitter at SuperFlexShow. Again, we'll get them on the live show to the best of our abilities. You can also send them to any one of us individually. Ryan's at Ryan M. Ryan Miller NFL. Brian's at Brian Har FF. And I'm at Superflex Dude. We can retweet them for you, help you get more votes and comments. And sometimes we even bring them here on the podcast uh, and analyze them on top of the, the live show. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the song The Addiction that we use as our intro and outro music. And above all else, thank you to each and every one of you for listening. Until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. Yeah.